Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Nuggets fans, Ryan Blackburn here. Wanted to share some podcast audio that I recorded with the fellows over at Home Court Press, a jazz podcast that does really great work with Brian Priest, McCade Pearson. Both of those guys are excellent jazz follows if you're looking for people to cover the jazz during this first round playoff series. Uh, McCade's at on Twitter is at McCadeP8. Brian Priest is at on Twitter is at bpriest24. Uh, we talked about game one of this uh, Nuggets Jazz series, some adjustments that both teams can make during game two, and I hope you guys enjoy. Thanks for choosing Home Court Press. We're back at you on a Tuesday morning after a tough Jazz loss in game one of the playoffs. Brian Priest here, joined by McCade Pearson, as always. How's it going, McCade? It's going. One no deficits aren't fun, but there's hope. And we'll see what happens tomorrow. Hey, the Jazz have been down 1-0 in a lot of playoff series, as we discussed previously. But we've got a little crossover episode for you this morning. We are joined by Ryan Blackburn of DenverStiffs.com. Ryan, how you doing? I'm doing well, guys. Uh, to, to your point, being down game one, I saw a graphic that ESPN put out last night that of the team up 1-0 in a series and still lost, the Nuggets as a franchise have had the the most times, the most frequent times where they have been up one and still lost a series. So that's not great. Uh, not great for the history, but fortunately this seems like a, a new team. Well, it sounds like you're giving me a little bit of hope there, Ryan. Let's hope that trend continues <laughs> as a Jazz fan. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping to take that away very quickly in games two and three, but if not still scoring 57 points and dropping seven assists, then it's going to be hard. Well, let's jump right into that. So, game yesterday, the Postal Service takes another hit after a really rough week as Donovan Mitchell passes the mailman, Carl Malone, for the highest single-game output in franchise history. And really, it was, you already said it, Ryan, it was a virtuoso performance from Donovan. 57 points, 9 rebounds, 7 assists. Takes the Jazz to the brink of a victory, but they just were unable to close it out. Jamal Murray, Nikola Jokic were able to take over late. The Nuggets' late-game execution is probably the best in the league. Those two combined for 30 points over the fine nine minutes, including overtime. But I got to tell you, if the last two games the Jazz and Nuggets have played, combining for three overtimes, record individual performance, I mean, incredible late-game shot-making, like two heavyweight boxers going toe-to-toe and just exchanging blows, sign me up. This is going to be a fun series. Yeah, when the Jazz don't figure out how to win one of those games, it's going to be a short series. <laughs> That's true. So, Ryan, as the as the Nuggets expert joining us today, what did you see from yesterday's game that really stood out to you, both good and bad? Uh, well, I saw not a lot of defense being played, and I think the, the Nuggets are doing a great job of executing on the offensive end uh, to kind of combat the, the Jazz defense, which I thought actually was, was really good. There are certain factors there that I think they can they can take away 
and, and take into future series that, that will bode well for them. But on the Nuggets end, defending at the point of attack was a real problem yesterday. When, when Torrey Craig got into foul trouble mm-hmm. and then ultimately fouled out, it gave Donovan Mitchell a lot of options and a lot of space to be able to take advantage of. And he did take advantage of it. Uh, he scored against Jeremy Grant, against Nikola Jokic on switches a ton, against Jamal Murray, Michael Porter Jr., Monte Morris, against all of the players that the Nuggets decided to throw his way. And it really, like you said, it was a virtuoso performance. I don't know if it's something that he can repeat in full, but he's probably going to have another 40-point seri- game at some point during the series. And the Jazz are going to give him those shots. Like that, They have to. Yeah, the, the Nuggets' perimeter defense definitely leaves something to be desired, and the way the Jazz were able to isolate some of the, the poor Nugget defenders after Torrey Craig got into foul trouble, Michael Porter Jr., um, Jeremy Grant was roasted by Donovan, uh, Nikola Jokic a couple times was isolated on Donovan, and, and I thought that was kind of the key to the game in, in a little bit of a surprising way for the Jazz, the way they ran so much isolation offense. What did you see, McCade? Um... I saw Donovan coming out of his shell. You know, I'm not the biggest Donovan lover in Jazz Nation, but my complaint's always been he doesn't get to the rim, he doesn't get to the free throw line. And in the second half, he was seven for eight at the rim and nine for nine from the free throw line. So what I've been yelling about is what he did yesterday, and it obviously <laughs> works out really well. They just have got to figure out how to play the last three minutes of a game, play an overtime period. They turn the ball over too much, and things just seem to be out of flow. We kind of get into one of those rhythms, Donovan especially, and then things just, you can't hold on to that forever. But there is hope there. There is good stuff going on there. And then their defense just has to be better. It's funny, we're both saying this, but the Jazz, we let up, you know, Donovan's 57 points were great. We let up 57 points in the fourth quarter in overtime. So that's 57 points in 17 minutes we let up on the other side. And that can't happen if you want to win games. Yeah, I agree, but I also think the Nuggets shooting yesterday was a, a little bit out of the norm. 22 of 41 from the three-point line, so almost 54%. And I just can't help but see those Nuggets coming back to earth. I think it's going to be a tall task to ask the Nuggets to shoot the ball that well, especially like Jamal Murray. <laughs> Jamal Murray showed himself as a great player, but 6 of 9 from the three-point line, I don't think that's going to happen again. Torrey Craig hit three three-pointers in yeah. that game. I, there were some outliers that I'm not sure if they will continue going forward. You could also say that about Donovan Mitchell and his 57. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, what do you do? Um, no, the weird thing about the Nuggets, and I'd love to hear Ryan on this, is so they were 20 of 33 from above the break and only two freight from the corners, which is even crazier. They really got above the break well. Do the Nuggets struggle to shoot in the corners, get to the corners? Like, how is that relationship between above the break and the corners for the Nuggets? Well, there's definitely there's definitely a factor in the Nuggets offense specifically that they generate more above the break threes than a normal team. They generate less corner threes than a normal team. That's just where a lot of their points are created from. Uh, so I don't know if the, the proportion there is necessarily uh, unrepeatable. I do think the percentage, like you said, is something that's going to come down. The Nuggets had every single one of their rotation players hit a three yesterday except for Mason Plumlee. That includes guys like D.J. Dozer, who hasn't shot very well. Torrey Craig, who's prone to go 0-3, 4 on some nights. Uh, Michael Porter Jr., I feel like that's probably repeatable. But if he's going to be played off the floor on defensive times, then that could also be a factor there. Um, but there are definitely some performances that are 
less repeatable than others. I do think that what Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic did, it's a little bit more repeatable than I think Jazz fans are hoping for, just because that's the way that they create their threes every single time, and they just happen to go in this time. But Jamal Murray is a better three-point shooter than the 34% he shot on the season. He shoots nearly 90% throw line. His consistency at the three-point line is, is a little bit rough, but he, uh, he has the capability to be able to repeat that performance on several occasions. So I, I wouldn't go too much in terms of hoping for like a, a two-of-nine performance from him or a, or a one-of-nine performance to kind of balance it out. I think it would probably be a, a three-of-nine performance. Yeah, Jamal Murray really showed out yesterday. After last season, a tough Game 7 performance, it's obvious that he recommitted to his craft and he's had a good season. And these last two games against the Jazz, he's been great. I was impressed. I mean, obviously the Jokic-Murray two-man game late really does wonders for the Nuggets offensively. It's why they're so effective in the clutch moments. But Jamal Murray, outside of that two-man game, his ability to create on his own was really impressive. It's something that few players in the league are able to do. He scores 20 points in the final three minutes of regulation and overtime by himself. And then in overtime, he also assisted on two different threes. Ends up with, at 36, 9, and 5 on the game, 13 to 20 from the field. I mean, that's going to be tough to to combat at any time for the Jazz. And I think you're right, Ryan, that the Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic performances are probably more repeatable than Jazz fans are hoping for. It's going to be interesting. I, I was wondering if I could get your guys' opinion on this. It, it felt like Joe Ingles was on Jamal Murray a lot at the end of that game, and I don't know if that was necessarily the best thing because Murray had the athleticism and capability to create an open shot against Ingles. Uh, I was wondering whether you think that is something the Jazz are going to continue to do or if they're going to go with Royce O'Neal more frequently than they did yesterday. Oh, can I answer that? Yeah, take um, that one. Now, the problem... Quinn Snyder and most coaches in the league can get overly worrisome of foul trouble. And I think part of that was Royce had three, four, five fouls pretty quickly yesterday. He only ended up playing 26 minutes in regulation. And so hopefully if Royce can stay out of foul trouble, they do put Royce on him. But taking that a step further, what happened to rookie Donovan? This is where Donovan needs to step up his game. He was coming out of college. We drafted him to be a three and T guy. And obviously we got way more than we bargained for offensively, but his defense has just fallen the last three years. So I assume it's going to be Royce moving forward, but that's the next step for Donovan is to get back to being a good defensive player and being able to say, okay, I got it. Like, I know I'm doing this on that side of the ball, but I'm going to, I'm going to stop Murray on the other side. And that's how we're going to win this game. Cause we've talked about it. 57 points is great. The jazz offense was great, but we let up. 57 points in the last 17 minutes, and most of that was Jamal Murray. And so at some point I would like to see Donovan take control of the game on both sides and get the help get those shots necessary. But, yeah, I do think it goes back to Royce O'Neal if he can stay out of foul trouble and if they have that confidence. The Jazz do struggle on the perimeter defending players. Um, Rudy Gobert solves a lot of mistakes inside, but there's a lot of mistakes he does have to figure out and help his team out. I think the individual matchup on Jamal Murray is that task is going to fall to several different players. It's going to be Royce O'Neal. It's going to be Joe Ingles. It's going to be Donovan Mitchell. If Mike Conley returns, he's going to get some time on Jamal Murray. But I think more than the individual matchups, I wonder if the Jazz need to adjust their defensive scheme 
late in that game, Joe Ingles was going under every single pick and roll, and Murray was just roasting him. And so the Jazz are going to need to figure out how to put more pressure on the ball, either get over the screens or first force the ball out of Jamal Murray's hands in some way. The problem there is if you force it out of Murray's hands, it's probably going to Jokic. And Jokic is just as good, if not more, of a, a great decision maker than Jamal Murray is. Oh, well, the, the way that most teams have defended Murray in the past is to force him to make pull-up threes. It's, it's to force him to do something that he's not necessarily as comfortable with as he is driving to the rim, getting to the mid-range, and knocking those shots down as well. Uh, but if Murray is going to be more comfortable, if he's going to be more confident hitting that pull-up three, then I don't know whether... Uh, changing up that defensive scheme is going to matter as much. They, they're going to need to commit Rudy Gobert to Nikola Jokic. So whether it's helping off of other guys and forcing Murray to be able to be a passer in addition to, like, but not passing to Jokic, and they're going to wall him off, they're going to just make Murray get the ball out of his hands to somebody else, that seems like a pretty good strategy. But Murray had nine assists last night and only three turnovers. And I, I do think that, his overall progression as a player has helped him become a little bit more versatile in that two-man game with Jokic. He's not just the scorer. He's not just the, the tip of the spear when you're, when you're trying to defend the Nuggets. and he, he has a little bit more variability to his game that I think he showed off well last night. Um, but we're going to see. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how this progresses. I, I was wondering if I could get your thoughts. Is, is Murray's performance more repeatable? Or is Donovan Mitchell's performance more repeatable after last night? Yeah, I, I think they're both a lot more repeatable to an extent than we are both wanting to admit. Donovan's not going to score 57. Let's make that clear. But you mentioned he might have another 40-point game. It just comes back to, A, the Nuggets' defense and Donovan's mindset of can he get to the rim? And, you know, the Nuggets aren't a great rim-protecting team. But if Donovan can commit himself to get to the rim and get to the foul line, He's a top 10 player in this league. When he doesn't do that, which is unfortunately too many nights we've seen this year, he's a top 30 player in the league. And so that's going to, again, come up to the Nuggets on a defensive scheme and Donovan just committing to, hey, I'm going to get to the rim. The same goes for Jamal Murray. If the Jazz keep letting him do what he's doing, yeah, he might have 25 points instead of 30s, but it's still going to be mostly the same story. And so this is where Mike Malone and Quinn Snyder are going to have to earn their money and make some adjustments to figure out how do we stop these guards, how do we improve our defense as a whole, because that obviously didn't work yesterday on both sides. And then, of course, we, we talk about you get down the stretch, Nuggets a little bit better, that's how they pull out the win. So I'm sure the Nuggets are okay with the game going exactly the same. But this is where the playoffs are fun. You adjust game to game and you see what happens, and two weeks later you hate each other and – it builds tension and emotion, and it's great. I think you hit the nail on the head right there, McCade, and I kind of simplify it by saying Donovan Mitchell's performance probably is not as repeatable for the simple fact that I don't see him being as efficient as he was yesterday going forward. That was that was a performance that we rarely see. I mean, obviously, it was the third highest scoring game in the playoffs in NBA history behind Michael Jordan with 63 and Elgin Baylor at 61 the second youngest player to ever score over 50 in a playoff game, again, behind that Michael Jordan game. And it's just that efficiency is such a difficult thing, especially for Donovan Mitchell when he doesn't get to the rim. If he continues to get to the rim and draw fouls like he did, then yes, it's repeatable. But for Jamal Murray, besides the shooting percentages being a little bit higher than I would normally expect, 
that was everything I expect to see from Jamal Murray's game. I was really impressed there. Let's move on to the other big matchup in this game, though. Nikola Jokic, the best offensive center in basketball, against Rudy Gobert, the best defensive number in basketball. McCade, do you want to take us on this one? I think they were both great. I talked about this the other day. This isn't a tug-of-war between them two. It's a how much can we lift our teammates between those two. Rudy Gobert did Rudy Gobert things. Jokic only had three assists. He was average efficiency. Gobert did his thing and did good. Jokic on the other end really moved the ball well despite the only three assists. As I said, average efficiency, which is good against Gobert, finished with, what, 20 and 11, something like that. Like, I thought both of them did really, really good. And the, the one knock I have on either of them is Gobert shooting one for six from the line, which isn't going to happen again, but it still stings this game, and it still could be a three for six or a four for eight or something along those lines. So, uh, overall, I, I think both are fine. I don't think a series is going to be won or lost there. It's going to be won with those two guys lifting their teammates somewhere else. Completely agree. Ryan, what were your thoughts? Uh, I thought that Jokic probably took that matchup by a hair yesterday, uh, only because, that hey, Rudy, when you, when you shoot one of six from the line, that really hurts the team, especially a game that goes into overtime. Um, but we saw Jokic do what he does when, when he goes up against Rudy, and that's, hey, he's going to be challenged. He's going to be uh, definitely bothered in some ways. But he went to he went to go against Rudy on several occasions, one-on-one, pick and pops with Jamal Murray. And I thought that the four of seven from three was a really good indication that Jokic is locked in on this matchup and he's really focused on doing the things that he has to do in order to get a victory. I thought the Jazz as a whole did a really good job of sitting in the passing lanes on normal Jokic passes. They cut off the paint. There were very few back-cut opportunities for the Nuggets, and I don't think that Jokic had a single uh, layup or dunk under the rim to a teammate. That, And I think that, that really stands out when, when thinking about a Jokic offense because usually what they do is they back-cut you to death. They try to get as many of those easy opportunities as possible. Those opportunities weren't available yesterday. So I wonder if Denver makes some adjustments to try and get more easy opportunities for Jokic to pass. But Quinn Snyder is clearly a very good coach, and he clearly helped out Gobert as much as possible in that matchup. Now it just comes down to whether Gobert can shut him down one-on-one. I thought Jokic's willingness to go at Rudy Gobert, and there was no fear from Nikola Jokic. You could tell that he was ready to dominate the game on the offensive end from the opening tip. I think he hit the, his first three-point attempt of the game and was really off and running there. But at the same time, Gobert was terrific on the defensive end. I, I think that his, um, i trying to think of the word here, just his discipline in staying on the floor, not going for a lot of those Jokic uh, fakes and you know fake passes or spin moves and various things that Jokic likes to do in the paint and Gobert not getting into foul trouble like, like he did in the last game ended up with I believe four fouls in this game five fouls in this game played with four through most of the fourth quarter but he was really good against Jokic I thought you got exactly what both teams expected out of both of those players. Correct me if I'm wrong, guys. Did, didn't these two match every minute on the floor together? They both played 42 minutes, and I, I think if Jokic was on the floor, Rudy was, and vice versa. 
Yeah, I looked at that and I looked into it because I couldn't believe it, but that is true. I think it was 42 minutes and 11 seconds, and they both played the exact same 42 minutes and 11 seconds. So I don't know which coach is trying to do that or if both coaches are just okay with that, but that was a thing. Uh, yeah, no, I, I very much agree with Cade, with the Cade there. Uh, Jokic in, in the NBA.com matchup data, he, he shot 11 of 20 from this game against Rudy Gobert. I'm not sure where the last field goal attempt disappeared to, but because he has no nothing against anybody else. But it truly was a one-on-one matchup where Jokic was guarded by Rudy Gobert the entire game. They matched minutes the entire game, and that's just that's just kind of how Quinn Snyder's going to do it in this game in this series. I think uh, I feel like that opened up opportunities for Denver's bench, and I thought the bench played better against the Jazz than they normally do when Gobert doesn't match up entirely with Jokic. But still, think that this was a really interesting first game, and then glean a lot of good information that if Jokic continues to shoot the way that he did, if he continues to play the way that he did one-on-one against Gobert, I think it's going to be a short series for in Denver's favor. If Gobert can rise to the occasion and continue to challenge Jokic and make things a little bit more difficult for him, then uh, the Jazz are going to steal a lot of games, maybe even win the series. So one more knock I have on Gobert's performance, and he did this against Chris Paul as well. And it kind of it comes from a lack of trust to his teammates a little bit, which is justified. Is he needs to commit on these jump shooters? Maybe I mean, Jokic had three or four mid-range jumpers, and what'd you say, four for seven from three yesterday? Yeah. Where Gobert would have a hand up four or five feet away, but he was worried that he wasn't going to be able to help um, crash the glass, and then he wouldn't help get the rebound anyway because he was stuck in between. So if they're going to leave Jokic open so Gobert could help rebound, that's okay. If they're going to close out hard on Jokic and trust other guys to rebound, that's okay. But Gobert got stuck in that middle ground no-man's land two or three times yesterday, and Jokic made every one of those. As I said, a couple in the mid-range and one or two of his threes. So Rudy needs to be more decisive there, and then when he is decisive that he does need to be right out on Jokic, the other guys have got to rebound. They were pretty good yesterday, but they struggled down the stretch. I think the Nuggets have something like a crazy 44 offensive rebound percentage in the clutch this year, which is just insane out of this world. And the Jazz cannot let that happen because it happened a couple times down the stretch yesterday. I agree with you, McCade. Rudy ended up in no man's land a few times there. And I think that if you're the Jazz, if you're Quinn Snyder and Rudy Gobert, you you want to, if you're going to force Nikola Jokic to do one thing, you want him on the perimeter shooting threes because he's not a bad three-point shooter, but he, he was 31.4% on the season. I would rather have him out there shooting the ball than acting as a point guard and, and getting those back cuts that the Jazz were able to take away and some of the easy baskets for his teammates. But if you're Rudy, you've got to commit one way or the other rather than being stuck in no man's land. So I completely agree. Now, Ryan, you brought up something that was interesting. You mentioned the Nuggets bench. I wanted to talk about them because we've discussed the repeatability of Donovan Mitchell's performance, Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic's performances. But what about guys coming off of the bench like Jerry and Grant and Monte Morris? Morris had 14 points, 6 of 9 from the field, 2 of 3 from 3-point line. That after being 0 for 13 from 3 in the playoffs last year through two rounds. Then Jerry and Grant in 40 minutes was one of the primary defenders on Donovan Mitchell. Didn't necessarily perform great there, but nobody did against Donovan yesterday. He also scored 19 points. Are those performances repeatable? Uh, I think so. I I don't think it's going to be necessarily to the degree with regard to Monte Morris that it it was. 
However, I and it's Jeremy, by the way. Uh, Jerry and Grant is Jeremy's brother, uh, and so they, there's a, there's an entire family there that's that's under Horace Grant, the old uh, the old Chicago Bull. Uh, but Jeremy Grant was awesome this game. He only had zero, like he had zero rebounds. Don't get me wrong; it wasn't a perfect performance from him. But during the course of these bubble matchups uh, with the Jazz before, with uh, against other teams before that. Uh, Jeremy Grant has really stepped up as probably Denver's fourth best player in this bubble. Right now, he he comes off the bench behind Paul Millsap, but against the Jazz in the seeding games and tonight, it really was Jeremy Grant who was closing down the stretch, who the Nuggets really trust. Uh, and especially with Corey Craig in foul trouble, he really is the second best defender against Donovan Mitchell that they can throw out there. With he's six foot nine, has good length, he's got great athleticism. Uh, I thought that he did a poor job in the first half, especially of matching up with Donovan Mitchell. He was going under a lot of uh, under a lot of screens and leaving Mitchell open for three. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in the fourth quarter, and especially in overtime, I thought he really tightened up. Uh, there was he, he was kind of giving Donovan Mitchell the open mid range, sagging uh, off there a little bit, but he was closing out from on three a little bit more, uh, forcing him to take the ball to the hole and. I thought he did a really good job in a, in a variety of cases. Uh, whether that's going to continue, I don't know. Uh, I will say that Jeremy Grant is Denver's best perimeter defender when talking about guarding guys like LeBron James and Kawhi Leonard and Paul George and Luka Doncic and guys of that nature. Uh, Mitchell's six one and, and he's lightning quick, so it's definitely a different matchup. So we're, we're going to see a different side of Jeremy Grant probably going forward. With Monte Morris, Last year's performance, I do believe, was an aberration. He was basically a rookie after having played all 82 games in the regular season. I think he was exhausted. Um, this time around, he, his body's clearly better conditioned. He's a little bit more confident. And I think that something close to this is probably the, the version of Monte Morris that you're going to see going forward. But I, I definitely think that this is, this is bad news for the Jazz, who, who have a lot of weaknesses on their bench unit that if Monte Morris and Jeremy Grant are going to play the way that they do, it just puts so much more pressure on the Utah Jazz starters. So, McCade, on that note, how can the Jazz bench compete with with guys like Jeremy Grant and Monte Morris and be able to just keep the starters in the game? Because that's really been the struggle. When the bench unit's on the floor, the Jazz offense bogs down and their defense really struggles. First, I just want to say Grant was one of the best pickups of the offseason as of now. I don't like giving away first-round picks for one-year rentals, but if they can lock him down this summer, um, I believe he has a player option, or if they sign him long-term, that's an amazing pickup. they got to play defense. Um, I know it sounds simple. Moody is actually one of our, I won't say best defenders, but at least more stable defenders. Um, Clarkson has got to be better. And they just need a guy to step up. Uh, Nyang was pretty good yesterday. And the three for six, but all three misses came off one possession. Super weird possession in the right quarter. Um, right, yeah. But they just need somebody to stand to. They just need somebody to stand up and give them that little boost and get them to be a plus two or a plus three. We don't need much, but you just need someone to say, "Hey, I got it this game." And if all if four players can do that one game each, you win the series. All right, guys, so let's switch gears now. We've recapped this game at length. Let's talk about what type of adjustments the the Nuggets and the Jazz need to make going forward. The Nuggets already with a 1-0 lead in the series, obviously. What do they need to do to limit Donovan Mitchell's 
touches. Um, what do the Jazz need to do in terms of, for me, I think for the Jazz, you begin with the late game execution. Their their offense was pretty good all game, especially once Donovan got going in the second quarter, and he, he never turned off, obviously, with the 57. But when we look at the sequence to start overtime for the Jazz, they had a missed shot on their first possession and then four straight turnovers. And I think what you see with the Jazz is, especially late in games like this, with Mike Conley gone, with Bojan Bogdanovic missing for the, the bubble, there's a lack of trustworthy ball handlers on this team, and it becomes glaringly obvious late in games when you have to depend in a close game on Jordan Clarkson. I have no problem with Jordan Clarkson, especially like some of Jazz Nation does, but I don't trust him late. But I think that's the key for the Jazz, is they really need to to figure out that late-game execution. They need to continue running the offense. Rudy Gobert, the last two games against the Nuggets, has struggled late. Now, yesterday, sometimes the entry passes weren't perfect. They weren't what you're looking for. Donovan Mitchell threw a couple bounce passes off of drives that were tough to handle for a seven-footer. Throwing a bounce pass to a guy in the post like that is ill-advised. You watch Joe Ingles when he drives. Joe Ingles is somehow able to thread a needle quite often and hit Rudy in the chest, whereas Rudy's got to try and catch and figure out where the, the pass from Donovan is going to come from. But then we look on the on the Nuggets side, and they've got those two ball handlers in Murray and Jokic that really slow the game down and seem to convert every time on the offensive end. So I think that's where the Jazz are going to have to focus, is how do they slow the Nuggets down? Is it going to be defensive adjustments? Do you trap Murray and Jokic? Do you throw quick double teams at them? Do you drop Rudy off of Jokic if he's going to play that high post above the three-point line? and ha- have a smaller defender guarding Jokic, because I think that's okay if he's on the perimeter, and then Rudy drops down near the basket, almost like a zone, not quite, but that's where the adjustments are going to have to come from. The rest of the game, I think the Jazz and Nuggets match up really well. This is going to be a great series, but late game execution, the Jazz have to figure something out. It's going to be interesting. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what Quinn Snyder does in order to make up some of those changes because what what they did against Jokic and Murray over the last two games really wasn't it's it's just not going to work. Um, I really do think that that Murray is is at his most confident that he's ever been. Jokic is at his most confident that he's ever been. Uh, those guys they know exactly what they have to do in fourth quarters and overtimes in order to get the Nuggets victories. The Nuggets played the most clutch games in the league this year. And they have a lot of experience with those two, especially running the show. So it's, it's something that's become part of their identity. They know exactly how to do it. And they're going to get a good shot off on almost every single possession. And, and a lot of those times, especially against the Jazz, they seem to have gone in. Um, I do think that the Jazz are probably going to need to send a third defender their way and try to make other players beat them. Uh, that, that's where I would start if I were starting the Nuggets. And on the other end, I really do think that the, the Nuggets, they need to not get in foul trouble. Torrey Craig needs to not be in foul trouble in order to kind of guard Donovan Mitchell a little bit more so that they can play Jeremy Grant against Joe Ingles. So I think Grant's size and athleticism and length, he, he bothered Ingles on a couple of those final possessions. And that's where, that's where a couple of the turnovers came in that you guys were talking about. Personally, the basketball will work itself out. Quinn and Mike are two of the best coaches in the league. What I would love to see the Jazz do is really just do the little things better. Don't pick up two technicals early in the game. Use your coach's challenge. If we would have challenged a call in the second quarter and stolen a point, maybe that changes the game. 
every point is so crucial in every game, but especially the playoffs, that you just have to make sure you do every little thing right. The other thing is I would love to see a second Jazz player make two free throws. The Jazz only had one player yesterday make two-plus free throws, which is you're not going to win games that way. Um, Rudy was one for six. Moody was one for two. Sorry, let me say that over. Gobert was one for six. Moody was one for two. And nobody else got to the line outside of Donovan. So just some little things of back to basketball, back to getting in the paint and doing their thing as a whole. Donovan looked great, but Jordan Clarkson only had, I think, two shots at the rim. Um, it was rough. So just get back to playing jazz basketball while keeping this version of Donovan Mitchell will do a lot for the jazz. Yeah, you forget how magnified everything is once it's playoff time. And it's from Rudy Gobert's one for six from the free throw line early in the game. That eight-second violation, you've got the two technicals from Jordan Clarkson, and then felt like kind of a bogus technical drawn by Quinn Snyder, but it is what it is. Um, to, you've got to execute. You've got to do those little things. I totally agree, McCade. So I think that's all I had, guys. Did either of you have anything else? I wonder what you guys think of Michael Porter Jr. and and what Jazz did to him on the defensive end and whether what they did on the offensive end, whether that's a little bit more sustainable. Uh, I'm, I'm a little bit I'm, – I'm interested to see whether Porter can continue to learn as this series goes along and maybe improve in some of his coverages because he really did look like a rookie out there in his first game of the playoffs and, and the Jazz are – very, really, really tough matchup for any rookie to go against because they're going to the have to you every single play. Yeah, I think I'll, t- I'll take this one to start if that's okay with you, McCade. So, Michael Porter Jr., in the words of the late, great Dennis Green, he is who we thought he was. Offensively, he was pretty good yesterday. 5 of 13, 3 of 7 from the three-point line. He also had eight rebounds. It was a good performance, especially early for Michael Porter Jr., but defensively, I think we all had a suspicion that the Jazz would hunt him on the offensive end of the floor, and that's exactly what they did. They would set picks. Uh, Jordan Clarkson, Donovan Mitchell, even Joe Ingles at time were all attacking Michael Porter Jr. And during the regular season, being a defensive minus works more often than not. But once you get into the postseason and against a coach like Quinn Snyder, who is a headhunter, he did it against Carmelo Anthony a couple years ago in the playoffs, it's... It's not going to be sustainable for Michael Porter Jr. unless he figures out how to how to stay in front of his man, how to position himself better on the perimeter because the Jazz would isolate. They created a ton of room, and Donovan Mitchell would get ahead of steam and was unstoppable. Joe Ingles drove past him a couple of different times. Jordan Clarkson had him on skates a few different moments. And so... I. I liked what Porter Jr. brings athletically. He's a really good player, and he's important in this Nuggets offense because they need him. He's one of their most dependable shooters, so they need him to be able to stretch the floor. But I think what we saw in Game 1 is kind of what we're going to expect from Michael Porter Jr. He might have a 30-point game in him at some point, but he's probably going to get toasted on the defensive end more often than not. Yeah, Mike Malone, all Mike Malone needs to do there is not go into a game with a minutes number. Michael Porter Jr. You have to be able to let him play 40 minutes in a good game and limit him to 20 minutes in a bad game. If they can do that, there's not much the Jazz can do to slow him down or take advantage of him. Ryan, were you surprised with Porter Jr. yesterday at all? So he's not usually this bad defensively. I think people will will give a misimpression of what he actually is defensively. Uh, In a lot of 
competing games, he was one of their biggest pluses on a very consistent basis. And it's because he has the length and the athleticism to really make up for some of the the IQ deficiencies in, in terms of the defensive end because he did miss a couple of seasons of development uh, defensive IQ. Uh, I do think against a team like the Jazz, athleticism is a lot less important than just being in place and just understanding the set. And I think Monte Morris was a great example of that on a couple of occasions yesterday where he's like 6'2", 6'3", 80 pounds, and he's still staying in front of the, the players that he needs to stay in front of because he is a, a basketball savant, a, a great defensive IQ guy. Porter, on the other hand, is, is very different. He's not necessarily uh, – he, he's, like, he's slow in terms of reading the play and trying to figure things out from that perspective. So I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing whether he can improve. I don't think he's going to get any reprieve from the Jazz. I do think the couple of pull-up threes that he had at the beginning of the game, that, that speaks to his competence as a shooter. Uh, the fact that he can do that in his first playoff game, I think is a, is a great testament to what he could possibly do going forward. Uh, none of the shots that he took today were easy, or yesterday were easy. So if he can get a couple of easy shots, then I think we, we could see a big shooting performance from him because I don't think the Jazz have a great answer for him on that end of the one other thing I noticed as we're talking about Michael Porter Jr. and Ryan, I kind of want to ask and, and get your thoughts on it, having watched the Nuggets all season. It looked like the Nuggets offense with Michael Porter Jr. on the floor, especially in transition, they really try and go for that spectacular play. There were three or four different lob attempts to Porter Jr. None of them were executed properly, I think. All of yeah. them ended up in no points during transition for the Nuggets. Is that an unusual thing? Is it something the Nuggets do often? I It was kind of unexpected for me. Very unusual. That's not something that they normally do. The Nuggets, I, I, I think I, I said this yesterday, a very team that's still to figure out how to use their new toys because on the perimeter, usually they have Murray, Gary Harris, Will Barton. Those guys are, are athletic, but they're all under 6'5". And uh, Paul Millsap is usually the starting power forward, and he's not an athletic marvel when trying to go up and get some lobs. So I think that they, they get into a two-on-one fast situation and they see Michael Porter Jr. running with them, and they're like, oh, we're going to throw a lob, and we're going to make a highlight play. This is fun. We're going to have a fun time with this. Uh, they're still trying to figure out how to be able to do that consistently. So they're going to play smarter, going forward, do a lot of highlight plays going forward. From that perspective, it's going to be more about Getting the bucket, uh, making sure that they pay, convert on that because it has been—it's been kind of funny in this bubble. They—they've wanted to make the highlight play, and I don't think they've converted on any of them. All right, Ryan. I think that wraps us up for today. Thank you very much for coming on the pod and doing this crossover. Where can Jazz fans and Nuggets fans find you and your your stuff? Well, I'm I'm the site manager over at SB Nation's Denver Stiffs. So if you're interested in finding some good Nuggets content, some some news, analysis, podcasts, highlights, things of that nature, then and head over to Denver Stiffs, and, and you can find my work personally at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. And that's, that's all I have for you. All right, McCade, where can I find you? Um, at McCade P8, that's M-C-C-A-D-E-P-8. You know what to do. And this is Brian Priest. You can find me on Twitter at bpriest24. That's at B-P-R-E-E-C-E 24. Game two coming up tomorrow afternoon on Wednesday. It's going to be, I believe, a 2 p.m. tip, right, guys? 2 p.m. or 2.30? 2 o'clock. 2 o'clock, yep. 2 o'clock on TNT. It's fun playing the only other Mountain Time Zone team. 
it's kind of nice, especially with those home court advantages both teams enjoy, right? You know it. <laughs> hey, home teams are 4-0 in the playoffs. <laughs> I knew you would bring that up, McKay. All right, you've been listening to Home Court Press, and go Jazz. Go Jazz.